Hey, Three Crosses family, welcome back to the podcast. My name is Pastor AJ. I oversee life groups and discipleship, and we are about halfway through our Explore God series. We're facing Christianity's toughest questions, and we're having conversations about it every Wednesday night. If you're interested in more information, visit threecrosses.church slash explore God. All right, we are so excited to rebroadcast our conversation on the topic, Can I Have Jesus Without All That God Stuff? So get ready for another great conversation. And with that, let's go deeper. All right, when are you started? Danny actually took us to Pascal's Wager. Um, If you guys remember that, Pascal's Wager is... Um, Blaise Pascal, noted philosopher, had this, had this kind of statement, if there is a God, if there is a God, you should seek him with all your heart. You should try to find him, go on this quest for truth, because it's all, if there is a God and you seek him and you find him, it's all upside. It's all good. You're, gonna, you're, you're not going to regret seeking God. And if there is a God and you don't seek him, there's tremendous risk. Because to not know this God that wants to be known, there's just there's a risk there. What is that going to What's that going to be? And, it, and conversely, if there is no God, and you seek Him with all your heart, and you never find Him because He doesn't exist, well, you you just kind of die, and there's no there was no risk to that. There was no downside to seeking this God. And conversely, if you don't seek Him and there's no God, then there's no downside. So Pascal is kind of pushing us to that place. And when Danny's highlighting that, is this kind of Let's get to this place where you believe, where it's, where it's tenable, where you can believe that there is a God. And the question that kind of came up, he said, Pastor Danny had mentioned Pascal's wager. Right, understanding the wager, believing in God and devoting your life to him makes rational sense. That it makes sense to believe in a God and to look for him and to pursue him. Um, and pretty much what's at stake is too great to not believe in God. And I, the question he, this person has is, if Pascal's wager gets you to God that there is a God, how then do you get to Jesus? So now this person's, a, this person's asking, like kind of wrestling with like, how do I know I found the right God? How do I know that like believing in Jesus, that Jesus is, the, is God? How do I know that? How can I have confidence in that? This person expressed just kind of like the really kind of rational fear of like, I would hate to get to heaven and stand before God and him like and him to tell me like actually it's not Jesus it's someone else. There's kind of that fear of like how do I know I'm believing in the right God and and Patty I know you had something uh, you had had a lot of thoughts about that. Yeah, I'm in the process of grieving a, a friend that went to be with Jesus last week and she was also a counselee that I walked through terminal illness with and she wrestled with this very question and that's why she met with me for counseling was that what if i truly believe god who he is and what the scriptures teach but she had kind of grown up in a tradition that separated the old and new testament quite a bit so she wrestled with what if jesus isn't the son of god what if i get to heaven and god says yeah i'm it you were right about me but you were right you were wrong about jesus And she was very fearful that then that would mean she was an idolater because God says, you know, you're only to have one God. So in that process of just listening and, of course, in a counseling process, you're you're learning a lot about their story. And so this wouldn't necessarily be the counsel I would give everybody. But what what we walked through together was, 
um, why don't you sit with the Father that you do know is true and the scriptures that you do know is true and, and ask him and just just reach out to him and say, I want to be right about this, Father. I don't want to be an idolater. I want to believe in your Messiah. Show me that it is Jesus. And, um, and we actually talked about, and try sitting with God without Jesus. And she realized as she came back into counseling again that I don't want God without Jesus because Jesus is the savior of, of my sin. So she was able to begin to connect the Old and New Testament. But part of the, the process and, and what we had talked about, I think why Ryan was asking me the question is, is that place that we can give people of if they are truly seeking God, Jesus himself said, if you seek me with all your heart, or God says, if you seek me with all your heart, you will find me if you are seeking me with all your heart. And Jesus says, seek and you shall find, knock and the door shall be opened. Um, and so there is this sense in which we see throughout Scripture, throughout God's character from Old to New Testament, that people who are seeking him, Chronicles talks about the Lord is looking throughout the earth to strengthen those who are set on him, that when we are truly seeking the truth, that God will give us the truth. He's, he's not cruel or tricky. He will, he's the one drawing us to truth anyway. And so that, and, and even as we look at Jesus's ministry, where he pushed back on the religious leaders who didn't believe in him, he didn't say, oh, you have this great faith with the father, but I need to convince you of who I am. He was saying to them, you don't know the father. That's why you don't know me. He, in his earthly ministry, if you look, he says, if you know the father, you do know me, you will recognize me. So I, that was the encouragement was sit with the father in what is true and trust his heart to want to reveal his son to you. I'm realizing I made a kind of classic error of a moderator and I didn't introduce our whole panel, let them introduce themselves. So uh, I'm gonna do that real quick before anyone else put uh, kind of has some input on that. But I'm Ryan Suzuki, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, and thanks for being here tonight. I'm just gonna go this way. Uh, I'm Eric Choi, I'm a member of this church. I serve here, I've been here for 18 years. I love Jesus. And he's one of our elders. He never tells yes. us that. I'm Hannah. I'm the outreach director. And I'm Patty here in the area of care and equipping. There we go. That's why my answer was so long. Perfect. <laughs> um, Eric, I think you, did you, have, you had thoughts on this one too. I, I want to start with saying these questions are so deep and they're so genuine. They're very authentic. So I, I respect it and I, I want to be sensitive towards it because... It's a sign of health. It's a sign of going in the right direction. That being said, tying it to Pascal's wager, that is based on almost like an expected value, right? It's like, is the sacrifice worth the benefit? Is the sacrifice, if it's wrong, is, what are the consequences? And it's like, okay, fine, I'll just do this. It's, a lot of it's just, it's just straight yeah. logic. A relationship with Jesus and seeing him as Lord and Savior is a little bit different where I can't just go to my neighbor and say, X, Y, and Z, this is the formula, it's worth it, just do it. It's, it's not gonna convince people, right? This is a matter of the heart, this is the Holy Spirit, this, there's a lot at, that needs to be coordinated here, and it cannot be formulated, right? And so I would welcome these, anybody with these types of questions to, to walk with the Lord, to spend time where you're familiar. If, if you're more comfortable in the Old Testament, if this is where you're, your background is, then read it. 
and see if it doesn't point to Jesus. Look at it with a lens of, does this point to Jesus as the Messiah? And I, I believe God is faithful, God is just, he will clarify that. If you're wrestling with it, put it at the Lord's feet and he will make it clear to you. Let me see Jesus the way you want me to. And I believe he would. Yeah. We were talking about the divinity of Christ, that he makes these big claims and kind of like to this point where it's like Pascal brings us to this understanding and kind of a rational conclusion that, hey, we should assume it's logical, rational, reasonable to assume that there's a God and that we should pursue him. And then how do we get to Jesus? And actually, this Sunday, we're talking about that's the big question we're wrestling with. Can one religion have all the answers? Spoiler alert, we do believe that one religion has all the answers. We believe that Christianity uh, is the, in that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that is our access to God. That's our, the only way to the Father, the only gateway into heaven, the only way for salvation, forgiveness, eternal life is through him. And so we do believe that. So we'll talk about more of that there. But I think about even with Jesus, when we talk about, okay, I get to God, I can get there to God, that there is a God. I can acknowledge that. How do I know that Jesus is God? And I feel like part of, as we were talking about it and we were wrestling it, that we thought about some of the, um, the claims that Jesus made. And Hannah, you had talked about a little bit about that kind of wrestling, even as you were uh, one of the re can I reveal part of why I love having you on this panel? Go for it. Hannah is one of the most spiritually mature people I've ever met in my life. So it shocked me. She's on my team. It shocked me to know that she's been a believer for two, two, three years. August twenty twenty. Yeah. So yeah, it's well, incredible. Three, three years. years, and you have just so thoroughly, man, invested. Hannah's in seminary too. I mean, she's she's got. She is spiritual maturity off the charts, and part of that's just your, uh, your honest, thoughtful wrestling with the Lord and the scriptures. And yeah, we were talking about a little bit about Jesus' divine claims today. So now I'm going to make you talk about it. Well, when I was first reading through the Gospels, like I was familiar with the Gospels, but to read them through all the way the first time, I think that uh, didn't happen until... Um, well, last year, um, to read through entirely. And I was, I was sort of surprised that, obviously, I, I, I was hearing Jesus say things like, um, I and the Father am one, and talking about um, making references to that he is God. But it, it didn't seem as clear and explicit and, you know, I am Jesus, I am one with God, I am God. It just didn't seem like as clear to me as I would have expected, although I, I recognized that it was very clear. But what was also very clear was that the people who were hearing him had no misgivings. They were like, this guy is claiming to be God. Let's kill him. Yeah. And it was, yeah, so it was very clear, but I just was thinking, huh, that's interesting. So... Yeah, so we were talking about... You was know, that, that what you wanted me yeah, to Yeah, you did great. Oh, wow. Thank you. <laughs> um, just thinking about that thing, like sometimes I feel like we have that tension around you wish Jesus just came right out and said it. But I feel like part... Danny actually brought this up on Sunday. It's one, honestly one of my favorite passages in the Gospels, and it's found in John uh, chapter 8. And Jesus is talking with the Pharisees, like the religious leaders of his day. So remember, like Jesus is 
a Jewish man, and he's in Jewish society, Jewish religious culture, and he's the realization, the fulfillment of the Jewish faith, of the Old Testament, all these different things. And if you know about Judaism, if you know about the Jewish religion, Abraham is the father of Israel. He is a big deal. He is one of the most important people. And But he had lived generations and generations and generations before Jesus. And he's he, Danny references this passage, like he's talking to these religious leaders. And they're, they're challenging him and on his authority and who he is. Um, Jesus, says, Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is the Father who glorifies me. Who we say, he is our God. But you have not known him, saying like, you don't know the Father, kind of to Patty, what you were saying, like, to not know Jesus is to not know the Father. To not know Jesus is to not know God. You can't have Jesus without the God stuff. Uh, but you have no, not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So he's saying, like, Abraham was so glad to see me here, to be God incarnate on earth. And the religious leaders, of course, like Abraham's been dead and in the ground for hundreds of years. And so they rightly say, like, you are not 50 years old. Jesus is in his early 30s. You're not even 50 years old. And you have seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up, so the religious leaders picked up stones to throw at him, to kill. I mean, that is, they're killing. They want to kill him. And here's the thing that, you know, even when Hannah and I were talking about today, and when God reveals himself to Moses in the Old Testament, you know, have you ever heard the story of the burning bush? Moses leading the people out of Israel before he goes back to Egypt to rescue God's people. He sees a burning bush and he has an encounter with God there. And God speaks to him and is telling him to go, go, go save my people. I will be with you. I will rescue you. You will be my agent for rescue. And Moses is so troubled by it. like, I, I don't know if I'm your guy, all these things. Like, who should I say sent me? Who should I say sent me? And God's response, like, here's God's name, how he names himself. He says, tell them I am sent to you. So when Jesus, and if you know, the, if you have ever heard about the Tetragrammaton, the divine name, if you've heard Yahweh, that's what that is. Yahweh, the divine name. When Jesus says, I am, he's invoking the name of God. He's saying, hey, he is in no uncertain terms, as clear as day, as clear as Hannah, you wanted back then, saying, I'm God. And that's actually a way cooler way to say it. Yes, too. it's a much bigger mic drop way of saying it. It's amazing. <laughs> Jesus but, says things like, I and the Father are one. He says things like, he does this thing. If you know the story of the paralytic, the paralyzed man, and, and Jesus says like, hey, there's a guy who wants to be healed. And Jesus says, hey, it's not my son. Your sins are forgiven. And everyone's scandalized like, hey, you can only, for only God can forgive sins. And Jesus says, hey, let me prove it to show to you that I have the authority to do this, that I am on the same level as the Father. I say to you, get up and walk. And the guy got up and walked. And it's just this amazing thing. Well, I was, all I was going to say was that I love that Hannah brought that up. I think that's an important piece to remember with our our unbelieving friends is there is a lot of context 
to Jesus's claims and to be patient and to recognize that how important the Old Testament is. The Old Testament is the gospel concealed or Jesus concealed and the New Testament is, is Jesus revealed. And so being able to connect those pieces. So I'm really grateful that you shared that, Hannah, because that's that's really helpful because some I can forget as, a, as someone who's been a believer much longer that some things that are clear to me are not clear because I have a little bit more of a first century ear um, because of my previous study than maybe my friends who are new to Christianity. So I, I thought that was just a great way to, to re a reminder for us to be patient, gracious, kind, um, prayerful. So thank you. Yeah. And Hannah, I just want to highlight that too. It's like Hannah was talking when you said, yeah, can you restate like even in that passage, like the Jewish leaders picked up stones, like how did that what was that like? Why was that such a confirmation to you, that kind of response? Well, they were far more immersed in the Old Testament. Yeah. They were experts, right? And yeah. they, so, like, they knew what he was saying. I right. am far removed from that context yeah. in which Jesus was speaking. And so to them, it being crystal clear to the point of, yeah. like, this, you know, obviously they revered... Yahweh, they, you know, to, but it was very clear to them to the point where they were like, we're actually going to kill you. Yeah. We talked about like Jesus, the, the, the resurrection. We talk a lot about the resurrection, the fact of the resurrection, the, the proof of the resurrection. Danny actually didn't get to get to this list, and I just, but he had it. I thought I'd share it with you because that's one of those things. Like you have to contend with the resurrection of Jesus that he raised from the dead. Did you? Do you guys remember when Danny read that list of facts of like all historians, like any historian, whether Christian or not, non-believing, believes about Jesus? That he gave that kind of list of things that people will believe about Jesus. That they'd say like these are true about Jesus. Jesus lived during the time of Tiberius Caesar. He, was, he lived a virtuous life. He was a wonder worker. He had a brother named James. He was acclaimed to be the Messiah. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified on the eve of the Jewish Passover. Darkness and an earthquake occurred when he died. His disciples believed that he rose from the dead. His disciples were willing to die for their belief. Christianity spread rapidly as far as Rome. His disciples denied the Roman gods and worshiped Jesus as God. Any historian uh, like that would study in this kind of in this time period would agree on these facts. Here's another list of what we people would widely believe about the narrative around the resurrection. Jesus died by Roman crucifixion. He was buried most likely in a private tomb. Soon afterwards, the disciples were discouraged, bereaved, and despondent, having lost hope. You see, like the disciples initially, they just thought it was they thought it was over. They returned to their old their old ways before the resurrection, even those days after his crucifixion. Soon, uh, Jesus' tomb was found empty very soon after his internment. The disciples had, experienced that they, uh, had experiences that they believed were actual appearances of the risen Jesus. Due to these experiences, the disciples' lives were thoroughly transformed. They were even willing to die for their beliefs. Most of the disciples, apart from maybe John, were martyred for their faith. That they believe because they believed in the power of the resurrection, because they believed that Jesus was God, because they believed that He was who He said what He was. 
the proclamation of the resurrection took place very early from the beginning of church history. It's not a later invention. The disciples' public testimony and preaching of the resurrection took place in the city of Jerusalem, where Jesus had been crucified and buried shortly thereafter. Again, they're preaching this. They're telling people about a resurrection right where it happened, not a place where a myth can expand. People would say, like, you would see like them, like Romans or the Jewish religious leaders going and saying like, hey, we have a body over here. Actually, we have Jesus' body. It's still in the tomb. They couldn't do that. They didn't do that. The gospel message centered on the preaching of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Sunday was the primary day for the gathering and worship, which again, if you know Jewish tradition, the Sabbath was Saturday. The Lord's Day became Sunday, the day of the resurrection. James, the brother of Jesus and a skeptic before this time, you know that, heard that from the scriptures that James actually the brothers of Jesus, didn't much like Jesus, was converted when he believed and also saw the risen Christ. I don't think there's anyone more skeptical about, would be more skeptical about your divinity than your sibling. Um, and just a few years later, Saul of Tarsus, Paul, the apostle Paul, became a Christian believer due to an experience that he also believed was an appearance of the risen Jesus. And again, if you know Paul's story, he was a persecutor of the church. He was actively opposed to Jesus and he had a radical transformation through what he claimed was an encounter with the risen Christ. So it's just it's like, you have to contend with those. It's interesting when you think about Paul, it kind of goes back to that first question we talked about that I shared about my friend too. Here is Paul, a very devout Jew who thought he was protecting the name of God. And this is one Jesus reveals himself to. So I think as we'll talk later, even about people, um, can they be saved apart from faith in Jesus Christ? We see evidence throughout scripture that those, even when they were wrong, if they were zealous for truth and holiness, that God did reveal himself to them. I, I didn't think about that till just now when you said that about Paul, that he, he persecuted Jews because he thought he was protecting the holiness of God. Um, there were others who persecuted Jews for their own agenda, but Paul wasn't about his agenda. He really was on a mission for the Lord and, um, and was wrong, and God got a hold of him. So anyway, I don't know. I think that was kind of cool. Um, some of these you may have asked weeks ago, and we kind of, we're trying to categorize them sometimes where they fit. And we felt like this question, which was asked probably in week one or two, really fit well for tonight. And it was just, here's the question. It's a, I love this question. It's a good and honest question. Will a person who doesn't hear the gospel and know Christ be saved? That's it. If, they don't, if someone doesn't know Jesus, can they be saved? If they don't hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, with Scripture has to be our authority, and, and because otherwise we're going to get ourselves into a lot of trouble. And the Scriptures are very clear that um, from the creation of time, uh, we were created perfect, and we fell in Genesis 3, the Within three chapters of Scripture, we, um, we rebelled. The first man and woman rebelled against God, and we have the burden of guilt that we are, we are born with. That is why God, at the cost of his own life, sent his son to, to come and to die for us so that our sin could be atoned for. So we can't be saved apart from Jesus. There is no salvation. Had there been salvation possible apart from Jesus, he would not have had to send Jesus and sacrifice him. The beauty of this question, though, is that it, it's, it probably has a lot of concern and compassion and fear in it, and that's an important thing to wrestle out. What we can look at the scriptures from Genesis all the way to Revelation is that God was willing to send his son mm -hmm that he was willing 
to come to earth, to take on flesh, to experience everything we experience on earth, to take on our sins so he could give us his righteousness, which is what happened at the cross. He not only took on our sin, but he gave us his, his righteousness. We are now made perfect before God. So the scriptures are really clear. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father but through me. Paul, throughout his letters, says, no, it is only by one name by which we can be saved, and that is the name of Jesus Christ. And the reason is, is because we all have the, the penalty of sin. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Probably don't need to convince you of that. You probably had thoughts before you put your feet on the floor this morning that weren't holy. So we all know that we're, we're not perfect. We don't hold to our own standard, much less the standards we put for other people. So we need a Savior. We need someone who's willing to take all our sin, past, present, and future, to reconcile us to God. But the, So the flip part of that question is, is then when, what happens when someone doesn't hear what happens? And we, we, can, we were talking about these beautiful stories. I work in Central Asia among Muslim background believers, and I can tell you for some of my friends who were never preached the gospel, Jesus appeared in visions and told them where to go to find a missionary, to find a Bible, to find the truth. So we go back to a God who was so willing to send his son he will send truth to those yeah. who honestly are seeking him and, and pursuing him. He promises that. Those who seek me will find me when they seek me with all their heart. So we pray, we send, we preach, we proclaim, and we trust God's heart. But if we start to say we can be saved apart from Jesus, we have kind of undone all of the story of our creation, haven't we? And, um, and I know for my own soul, I need a Savior. Um, so... Yeah, so I think we, we go back to the heart of God, the character of God. We also talked a little bit about, you know, for those of us who have shared our faith with family members who've rejected Christ, we can have an assurance that, that maybe in the moments of death, Jesus has even spoken to them one more time, and we don't know. So even when somebody hasn't received Jesus, thankfully, we don't get to decide whether they were saved or not. We don't know what God might reveal again in those hours of death. We know he loves us and pursues us so much that he gave us Jesus. So for me, with having a lot of non-believing family, plus having people around the world I love, um, I find comfort in God's character. That if he would love us so much that he would send his baby into this broken world to experience all of this for us and then die the most gruesome and horrific of deaths in our place, becoming sin for us, then I can trust him with non-believers and be compelled yeah. to get the word of the gospel around the world. Yeah. Eric, you were talking about a little bit about before we're, we had a discussion about like the kind of the character of God and where you see that again, this character that's revealed in Christ. Um, yeah. Talk about like, can you t share with them what you share with me? I will share it in a much better way. Thank you, Hannah. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. But I want to say, so I got to start with that clarity. So, you know, going back to the Psalms, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. He is so faithful, so patient with us as if we wrestle with it. So that character will be revealed. We will be comforted by him as we struggle with this. He will find the right way at the right time to draw us to his son. Yeah. And it will be up to us to accept it or not. Yeah, amen. I think part of it is just the reminder. I think 
Patty, you drew this out. Eric, you draw this out too. There's this kind of concern about, man, like there's these people and they don't know and they don't hear, like what about them? And I feel like there's, I under, we, we all empathize with that. We just, we, those of us who know Christ, like, man, what, I want everyone to have this thing. But we also know, like Patty kept saying, and Eric, you said over and over again, we have a God that loves his people. Like, think about the lengths that he went. Think about the lengths that Jesus went for us. Think about what the Father went in sending his son. Think about the, all those, like, he did not withhold his own son, but gave himself, him as a atoning sacrifice for our sins. He loves us dearly. So you think about those people that maybe you have not heard, actually, and I got, uh, I'm not going to tell this whole story because I don't want to spoil, I'm preaching about this on uh, November 4th, so. But there's, I have like a family story, like of a, of a distant relative from generations ago that just had an experience with God and met the Lord in a very, like in a miraculous way. Every time I tell the story, I have to go back to my dad. I'm like, this is really the story that the family, like, this is real, right? He says, yes. I asked him today. I asked, verified it with him again. But we have a God who's a pursuer. He will go after people. Like, again, if you sit in any mission circles, I mean, my, Pastor Mark here last week with Pastor Daniel, that story after story after story of the lengths that God goes to bring people, to draw people to himself. It's when I hear those stories, when I experience those things, when I see that in my own family, man, it's just, you see the love of God. Hannah, I think he, you had something too. Even through, oh. even through creation, yeah. he says in Romans 1 that the creation declares his glory and it testifies and we are without excuse. So yeah. even he pursues us through beauty. Yeah. I was just going to say, and if you're a Christian and you feel this anxiety over what about the people who don't, the, I think the answer is go and tell them. Yeah. Right. So. It's the great, it's the great pray, commission. Yeah, pray about what that is for yeah. you in your life, but go and tell them. Yeah, I was thinking about Hannah, you have such a burden for people in our community. You know, she's, she's our community, like an outreach director. So on the one hand, we do, we, where we partner with organizations that bring a good to our community to care for those who have felt needs or addictions or all these different things. And Hannah, you do such like a great job activating and coordinating the efforts of our church. But the other thing you've talked about is that desire and that that burden that you have that we and that the people of our church would share would have this heart for people that they would go out and they would share the gospel with others well for me i think um i go back a lot to i don't know if anybody was here for um wow i'm forgetting his dave runyon and the neighboring um situation but um you know we live within a couple of hundred yards of people all of the time who, you know, have what an opportunity, if we're a Christian, what an opportunity for them to see the gospel lived out in front of them um, in a time when our cultural narrative is so anti-Christian, is so, um, so relativist and so and telling people so many things about why Christians are really immoral um, and what an opportunity for us to live out authentic gospel love and truth in front of our neighbors who see us every day on our good days and our bad days and they're right there if we want to like go next door and invite them over for dinner or whatever so anyways I don't know
for those, there's people in this room, I'm sure that you're questioning and you're asking questions and you're investigating and you're not sure, but you're leaning in, you're here. Like, why would you be here unless you were interested at least? There's a lot of us in this room just by virtue of me knowing you and knowing your own personal profession of faith that you believe that Jesus is God, that he is savior, that he is Lord. Um, I don't know about you, um, but I always just think like if... I'm actually just, I'm skipping down to question four. Like, just talking about, like, this idea of, like, the question was posed, like, why would we want Jesus without all the God stuff? You know, we're talking about this whole, like, this Savior thing. Like, Jesus is Lord. He's Savior. So why, you know, some people want Jesus. Some of us might want, like, I like that Jesus is a moral teacher. I like that he says these good things. But really, like, why would we want Jesus without those things? Like, would we really... I mean, honestly, would you be in here? Would you come to church? Would you be investigating Jesus? Or for many of you, will you put your entire stake, your eternal destiny on Jesus if he wasn't who he says he was, if he wasn't God, if he didn't have the power to forgive you of your sins and grant you the gift of eternal life? I don't know about you, but if that wasn't true, I certainly wouldn't be working at a church, and I would definitely sleep in on Sunday. I just tell you right now, and it's just these things like, why would you want Jesus without? Why wouldn't you want? Um, why would you want Jesus without all the God stuff? Um, I was gonna. I think I was going to say something along the lines of, if somebody to me, if somebody's asking that question, yeah. um, we have to back up and grapple with the the issue of sin, yeah. right? Like mm -hmm. if and kind of deal with that because we need a savior. If we get to the sin thing, then we get to the thing of like, wow, we need a savior or we are really <laughs> in a bad place. And so then yeah. you can, then you can, then you can discuss that. Yeah. The flip side of this question, which is kind of the same other side of the coin is I just want God, but no Jesus because it's a self-serving or self-salvation effort. So if I can save myself, I can feel pretty good about myself. And that is the legalism. Is that kind of what you're saying? So I think there was, in Jesus' day, there were those that, that didn't want to believe he was the son of God because it, it insulted them that they needed a savior. If you've ever never met, read Mere Christianity, it's a fascinating book, it's a helpful book. It's a thoughtful, thought, incredibly thought-provoking book. But Danny brought us back to this argument that that Lewis would make. It's like, Jesus made, you know, we've been building all this stuff. We've seen that the Bible, as we have it transmitted, is reliable. So we have, we can, we've got the right books. You know, we have this book. It's been handed down genera generation, generation. It's been copied and transmitted to us accurately. It's unquestionable that Jesus makes some pretty big claims about himself. And so if you want a Jesus, you know, and, and Lewis kind of says like, Jesus does not leave you the option to take him without the God stuff. Either he's a liar, so he says a bunch of moral teachings, and they're all nice, and we like them, but he makes these, he makes, he, he lies about his ability to save. He lies about his ability uh, to bring forgiveness and life. He lies about him saying, like, he lies when he says, I and the Father are one. So probably not following that guy if we believe he's a liar. Like, yeah, he said great stuff but he, was all, he also lied about being God. So it's like, doesn't give you that option. 
he says that Lewis talks about him being a lunatic, where he's just, Jesus is out of touch, that Jesus is out of touch with reality. So he's this great moral teacher, but he doesn't, he's not in touch with reality. He thinks that he's a God, but he's not, or he is who he says he is. And Lewis kind of says, like, Jesus doesn't really give you the option, all of us rationally, if we believe that Jesus was not in touch with reality, it was making these kind of claims that are untrue. If he was directly, if he was a swindler and he was lying, none of us would be, we would not put our faith and trust in him. We would not see him as a great moral teacher. I'm wondering, so I think, well, I think one of the contentions with this series is the question, the way it's posed, there's several, there's several doors to go in. And I think like you, I was under the impression it was going to be, can I have Jesus without all the legalism? right? That's what you're asking. Can I have Jesus without all the religious rules? But the, the direction Danny went with it was, can I have Jesus without Jesus being God? And then I would say, yes, I agree. We, we want to have Jesus without all the legalism. That's what he came to free us from. He said, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he was speaking to legalism. He was speaking to these unbiblical or extra biblical beliefs that we put on people and say they must do or be to be saved. Well, more along the lines of what you were saying, Ryan, I think that there is a tendency, uh, maybe it's a kind of in our culture, but everything's like create your own, right? Sort of a build-a-bear model of like kind of just patch together thing. But like you were saying, Jesus really doesn't leave an option open to us. He, he uniquely, of all the people in history, by by virtue of what he said and what he did together, he pushes us into a corner where we have, we really have to grapple with this liar, lunatic, or Lord thing. Um, and it's, you know, if you're saying Jesus is just a moral, uh, you know, he's a, he's a cool guy, sort of a hippie, sort of a, you know, wow, what a, what a chill dude. You really don't, you're not talking about Jesus. You're, you're not reading, you're not reading, not you. It's not the Jesus not of you, the scriptures, yeah. People. Of history. They. Um, yeah, it's not the Jesus of the scriptures. We have to reconcile, we have to look at these claims that he makes. The way I read this was, what would make Jesus more appealing than God, right? It's, it's, it's one angle, right? And I think of it as Jesus is healer, Jesus is savior, Jesus is the Redeemer, he's the one that died on the cross. He's so selfless. He's good with children. He'll help people catch fish. He'll do it all. And yeah. who wouldn't want that, right? I think we read through this whole list. He's, yeah. he's great. There's, other than flipping a few tables, there's, there's really like nothing that he did was like really scary, right? Versus God, it's people see it as a, sometimes a scary being because he, he doesn't cut corners. He's very serious about his word. He, he's not loose when it comes to his rules. And it's, it can be intimidating, but I think through, through wrestling with it, through, through grappling with it, you will see God has so many more, just so many examples of his mercy, his love, his patience. He's willing to endure and, and be gentle. It's, it's all evident if you spend enough time in, in scripture. Yeah. I feel like part of it too is just, so, I mean, my answer to that question, kind of like, when you put it back to us, like, hey, what do you guys say about this question? Can you have Jesus without all the God stuff? No, you can't have Jesus without all the God stuff. That's right. I mean, just plainly, I just if feel by like God these... stuff, you mean that he is God. Yes, that yeah. he is God. If you want to take out the divinity that Christ, that Jesus is God, 
can you still, like, can you have Jesus without those two things? I say, I'll just say, no, I, I can speak for all of us. No, we don't see that. And I think for, if we were to say yes, we'd probably get fired, huh? Yeah, we'd probably get fired. Okay. And again, a good clarification. Again, I wouldn't be here tonight. I'd be at home watching F1 Drive to Survive with my wife, and it'd be amazing. Watch that show. It's really cool. Um, all these different things, but there's this thing, but Jesus doesn't leave us that option, and we don't want that version of Jesus anyway. I think all of us know, like, that's why we're investigating. That's why we're leaning in. That's why we've given our lives to Jesus, because we see something more, greater, transcendent, holy, other, and that's the beautiful thing about Jesus. I, I mean, I'm even, I'm looking in this room, and I know people like that have had that encounter with God, that you've had an encounter with Jesus, and you've wrestled with that fact, and you're here. You weren't here a couple of years ago, and you're here now because you had an encounter with Jesus, and it wasn't just some nice guy. It was the risen Christ, and kind of like what, what you were saying, Eric, too. It's like, I love how John talks about, like, Jesus reveals the Father. No one has seen the Father except Jesus, and he reveals God to us. And it's this way that, man, like, he's this way maker to God. And that we see, when we see him, we, see the, we behold God, and all these different things. And it's just, I don't know, I'm just kind of in awe and captured by the majesty and the wonder of who God is, of who Jesus is, that he reveals God to us, that he is God incarnate, God in human flesh, um, the savior of the world. Okay, so I was just saying that these questions that we're doing for Explore God can have different ways of interpreting the question itself. When I first heard the question, can I have Jesus without all the God stuff, the context, the non-believers that asked me questions, I was hearing, can I have Jesus without all these rules you guys have? as Christians. Like, if you're a really good Christian, you'll vote a certain way. If you are a, if you are a Christian, you will, you know, have X number of children and you'll do this with your children. These kinds of things that we add to the claims of Christ that somehow either prove we're a great Christian or save us even, right? Um, so that's, I thought that was one way to address the question, but it's probably not the, the most obvious and most reasons people would ask it. I think the way Danny went was probably the most common way, which is, can I have Jesus without him claiming to be God? Um, can I have Jesus as a, just a, an interesting guy that can be a, maybe a mentor or a teacher? Do I have to accept that he is the son of God? And Jesus does not give us that option, which yes. is what Ryan was saying clearly from C.S. Lewis. Jesus doesn't leave us the option of having him as anything less than God. He either is or he isn't. Um, but I was just saying another way to interpret the question that I have had people ask me in other contexts is, if I become a Christian, do I have to be like you? And my answer is, to be a Christian is to be like Jesus. How would Jesus be in your life? And so you may do different things than me, but it wouldn't violate God's moral law. It would be consistent with God's word. Um, but there are some things we as Christians add to the scriptures. We just do sometimes. And it's some people call that God stuff. Does that make sense? Have I sufficiently confused everybody? Yeah. Because that's probably not a good idea. You know so I hope that was clarifying. So that's so when I think of the question personally, can I have Jesus without like all the God stuff? I would never want him without him being God. Because that is life and breath and oxygen and 
he's not only, like you said so beautifully, Eric, he not only catches fish and overturns tables when things are wrong and, and pursues justice, but he saved my soul mm-hmm. from eternal destruction and he gave me eternal life. Do I want Jesus without all this religious stuff that gets put on me by other people, not God's word? Yes. Mm-hmm. I want Jesus without all that too because I think that's what Jesus came to show us. Hey, hello, everybody. My name is Aaron, and I'm actually, well, not actually, I'm new here. It's been like four months, about four or five months or so. So, you know, it's funny, once we started this whole journey here, yeah. it was interesting to me about being able to have Jesus without all the God stuff. As someone who's new, it actually kind of perplexed me because I would have flipped it around as someone right. who's new. Can I yeah. have God without all the Jesus stuff? Mm. Because coming from the outside in, that's a whole lot easier and more uh, palatable easier to take yeah. on than all of the information associated with Jesus. Yes. Does, does that does that make sense? Totally. So well, can I ask a, like a follow up like the Pascal's wager thing like is that you're saying like that type of thing like hey I can get to God the Jesus of it all is kind of the is the harder part for like I feel yeah. like that's part of that first question we were talking wrestling with. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And the Pascal's wager totally down with that and yeah. super analytical, super engineering. I'm like, oh yeah, it makes perfect sense. I'm with that. Yeah. But, but yeah, definitely the, the whole aspect of God, you know, the grand architect of everything here, you know, you plant a peach yeah. seed, it becomes a peach tree. I mean, who can explain that? Obviously there's a great power, a divine power out there. Yeah. Very easy to understand. This is the transition to Jesus and his life and the things yeah. that he did that become a little bit more challenging again, as a new person. So. Yeah. Thank you. We actually had that on there. We didn't quite get to it tonight, but we had the flip question. Yeah, yeah. I think that is a very legit and common question. I, I, I'm good with God, but don't give me these exclusive claims of Jesus. Yeah. yeah. So thank you for bringing that up. And again, we're, I think we're going to just encourage, keep encouraging you to keep pushing in. That's where even that we're conversation this week. Sunday mm-hmm. of can one religion have all the answers? Sometimes like you, on some level... We're inviting you, and I think God's inviting you to wrestle with, like, who am I, who am I really? You know, who am I, like, let's get down to the more granular of, I be, like, believing in a divine power, which is like, hey, like, we're all right there. That's the common grace of God. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. Like, this thing is, has the fingerprints of, of the divine all over it. Now it's kind of, can we know the divine? Can we identify the divine? And, we, and of course, we believe here, you can. It's in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Anyone else? So stay tuned. Stay tuned. Any other questions? Right down yep, here. Down here. Yeah, or just getting my steps. How has this helped in. you? This is cool. I might get to 10,000 steps. This is great. I, what was the reason that the beginning uh, of Danny brought up the um, Pascal's wagers? What was the point of being, bringing up that? that? I, I think for us, we're th- thinking about Pascal's wager is just. There's someone that might be on the total outside of faith and bring reasonable, like, when you think about Jesus, so in the context of Jesus, there's people that think, like, I like Jesus as a moral teacher. I don't like his claim. I don't like what Christians say, or even if you acknowledge that Jesus said, like, these claims about being God, that he is in some way, he is divine, or that Christians worship him as God. And I think for what the part of the argument there is, we can, Pascal's wager helps us acknowledge, like helps us bring a rational argument around the existence of God, the existence of God. So Pascal's wager is trying to help us rationalize 
God's existence. Yes, it helped bring us to a rational, like there's a rational reason to believe in the existence of God. And in fact, it is rational that if God exists, it's that wager. You know, it's, you know, another way of putting that, it's like, it's Pascal's gamble. Let's gamble. Like there's way more upside to following God if he's real and trying to find him and trying to seek him and trying to know him. There's so much upside and also, if there is a real God, there's so much risk at not searching for him, at not finding him. Because if we believe, if we find ourselves, we, we die one day and we stand before God. If we know that we've sought him and all those, like we're, we're, if we find out that he's real, we're gonna be, we're gonna think, and we never look for him, we never try to seek him, we're going to understand, uh-oh, I should have looked. I should have found him. And conversely, if there is no God, if there is no God, there's no mean to this universe. If we just die and we're, we just die and we exit this mortal coil and we're gone forever and we search for God, well, there's no risk to that. We would have died, like we, there was no time wasted, nothing wasted. There was everything to gain and, ev and everything to lose in acknowledging the existence of God. So in, in that, in that wager, I think the underlying, um, assumption is that you already believe that God exists in the first place. So Pascal would say it's the, the risk is if there is a God, pursue him, look for him, there's all upside and no doubt. Exactly. Yes. So you point, you, you point out that if God exists yeah. and you pursue it, that is an upside. Yeah. Whereas if God doesn't exist and you don't pursue, or whether God exists and you don't pursue it, that is considered as a downside. Mm -hmm. And with that notion, you yeah. have to acknowledge the underlying yes. assumption that you believe in God in the first place. Yes, and the flip side of Pascal, the other part of Pascal's wager, the second part is, if there is no God, if, the if we assume that there is no God, and we spent our life looking for a God that doesn't exist, well, we die anyway, and there's no eternal consequence. There's no, no harm, no foul. We spent a life looking for the divine, but we didn't lose as much as we would have had we not looked for him, and he was there. Right. So, so again, you, you're pointing out the upside and downside, yeah. and I don't agree with that notion mm -hmm. because you have to acknowledge, like I said, the assumption is that you already believe. Mm -hmm. You already believe then you only call finding God is upside and not finding God is a downside. Yeah. And I, the reason I don't believe is that because you cannot have that assumption if you want yeah. to make that rager. And you try to convince people to rationalize yeah. that you should search for God. Yeah. But that assumption, it's not correct because you cannot force that assumption onto people in the first yeah. place. You already want people to believe in the first place and if they already believe, you don't need to rationalize yeah. it. Yeah. So what's the point of having that uh, wager? I am not explaining this very well, so I'm going to... Hannah, you're smarter than me. No, I'm not. <laughs> I was going to take a stab at it, but I don't... It's, it's basic... I don't... I disagree. I, I don't think that it's a starting with an assumption that God is real. I think it's... What do you have to lose? Like, what do I have to lose? And this... To be clear, this is a reason to start a journey to look for God. It is not the whole picture. Right. But it's starting, it's starting with, okay, well, if God's not real and I make the wrong decision, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I made the wrong decision. There is no final judgment. There is no final anything. I die and that's it. And, and, and so what? And nobody cares and I'm yeah. dead. Versus 
if God is real and you make the wrong decision and you decide to believe that he's not real, you have everything, you have eternity to lose. I don't think you should put it as right or wrong. Mm -hmm. It's just like two different colors. Which color is better? You can't say two different colors mm -hmm. better or worse. Mm -hmm. Exactly, that's your choice. Yeah, the, and I think that's what's like. So exactly, so at the end of the day, you should have faith and that faith, it, you cannot explain. Someone you have to have. You either you have it or you don't. Yeah. So that wager is pointless because mm. you already have faith or you already don't have faith. Mm. So, so the way Ryan started it was like, this is a way to rationalize or to explain to somebody in a rational way why it's worth putting your faith in God. If you, if you said, if it's a non-believer, I'm just gonna say as a, as a wager itself. If I said, you give me $100, if I hit the mark, you're gonna have access to infinite money. If I miss the mark, you're gonna, if <laughs> I'm gonna, this, by laying down that $100, it's gonna protect you from an eternal debt that you could never have repaid. What's the worst to lose? Did, did I say $100? Yeah. It's $100. <laughs> so in that case, let's assume you have an average American salary, you would say, that's a worthwhile bet. It, it just puts it into context in a logical way yeah. without any actual faith required. You, you, could un, you could say this is Bob's wager, and then you say, hey, guess what? Let's remove the money and say trusting God is the actual thing that you're going for. Eternity in hell versus eternity with the Lord is what's at stake. And you have still $100 to lose. I think it would make sense to, in that context, it's just a way to rationalize, but it, it, doesn't, it doesn't bring a person to faith. If it does, it's, it's way too calculated. Yeah. And I wanna to like totally acknowledge that. You're right, like it's not enough. It's not enough at all. It's just one of those ways, let's get a starting point of helping some, like just saying like, hey, there is a rational reason to believe that there is a God. Not necessarily like, it's not gonna take you all the way there, it's not gonna help you, know, it's not, in it, like Pascal's wager in and of itself isn't gonna get you to know God, it's not a, way, a means to know God, it's not a means to like finding Jesus by itself. It's just this way to, like a challenge, and a reason challenge like, hey, it's, it's worth investigating whether or not there is a God and who he is. And like here, and again, we're gonna go, on Sunday, we're gonna go back to this, like is, can one religion have all the answers? And of course, again, spoiler, we believe yes, one does, and it's Christianity. And we wanna investigate the claims of Christianity and the truth claims of all those things. So that, uh, I hope that I appreciate that. Thing. Like, you're totally correct. Like, it does not get you to faith. It does not get you to salvation. It does not get you to transcendence or actualization or anything like that. It's just this way to start the conversation of like, okay, is it worth, Eric, I love how you put it, just in terms of an actual wager um, of money. It's like, is it worth the investigation to go see if there's a God? Thank you. That makes sense. Appreciate it. I think to put it in a, in a everyday context, our son-in-law was an, an unbeliever and he, a scientist, a physicist, and he said, you know, I think, I think I need to take the gamble of investigating what I have rejected. And he did. 
So he pursued and enough is at stake to investigate what I have reject already rejected. So he came from the opposite. He came from the assumption there is no God. So I think we can we all come with our assumptions, mm -hmm. and then but the but the but the, the invitation is: Are we willing to are we willing to investigate? Yeah. And, and then faith has to come in eventually too. So there you go. Yeah.